Human Rights in the 21st Century. To everyone listening, a most warm welcome to you all. My name is Natasha Briski and I am a journalist, podcaster from Slovenia and also based in Slovenia. And I'm Aljaš Mingobitens, Slovenian journalist, commentator and podcaster based in Luxembourg. And you're listening to a first episode in a podcast series on human rights and 21st century. Human rights are a cornerstone of European integration and one of the world's most important values, its democratic heritage and its conscience. Uh, The protection of human rights symbolizes a beacon of hope, a call for action, setting a high standard by which we judge the extent of our generosity, the depth of uh, our compassion and the breadth of our humanity. Protection of human rights means striving to balance global development and specific ways of life, all the while taking into consideration values both common and individual. Needless to say, there is much need to debate our freedoms and the world they exist in in the context of these central issues, and it is up to the global system to address them. And in this podcast series, Human Rights in 21st Century, we are starting a dialogue with our first guest, and that is Hans van Balen, president of ALDE, Alliance of Liberals and Democrats for Europe, a group in European Parliament. Mr. van Balen, thanks so much for joining us. Of course, a pleasure. I mean, uh, it's a very important topic. And it's my role to uh, to address you and to talk with you in podcasts and webinars, etc. And that's what we do today. We can't really meet in person or it's very difficult. So I'm very much available and thank you for giving me the option. Thank you. It is November 16 when we are recording the episode. And tell us, uh, Mr. Van Balen, as president of ALDE Party, what occupies you the most these days? I think what is relevant for you all and that means uh, that uh, the discussion not only about the coronavirus but everything having to do with our social lives there is this disruption we hear about uh, antivirus medication a vaccine but it will take maybe even years uh, because how to vaccinate if we have a vaccine, 7 billion people. That is almost impossible to be done within a few months. That that will take years. So this pandemic will not end just in a few months. And it means our whole social life, the way we connect as human beings, will not go to a normal, not to a new normal, in a few months. It will take much longer. And... That occupies me and probably you, and it has also to do with civil liberties, human rights, the way people connect to each other. Uh, It will be under uh, difficulty for a long period. Uh, You've mentioned that uh, the coronavirus is obviously obviously upended our world and the way we see the world and our uh, place uh, in it. what would you consider is the most pressing issue right now regarding the, shall we say, um, civil liberties and uh, liberal values? Um, it's a buzzword these days. So uh, so what's the most uh, uh, pressing issue today other than the fact that uh, none of us 
can uh, keep our schedules as we intended to. Yeah, but it's much more than just uh, our schedules. I mean, we are human beings, and that means we are social beings. Uh, we like to see each other, meet each other, uh, and this is disrupted and will be disrupted for a long period. Uh, and it has its implications on civil liberties and human rights. What is not new, I mean, we have dictatorships among the world uh, and they misuse, of course, the pandemic. Uh, if you look at China, Russia, Belarus, uh, many other countries, you see that uh, civil liberties are under threat. But you have also democratic countries. Uh, I come from the Netherlands and I can say that we are an old established democracy, but also here, we are thinking, what can we do? Can we make it obligatory uh, for people to, to have a vaccine, to, to vaccinate? Or is it a choice uh, guaranteed in our constitution? Uh, so also we, uh, in a, a fully established democracy, have our problems concerning civil liberties and human rights. Uh, and uh, there is not one answer. I mean, uh, the answer to what happens in, uh, let me say, Russia and Belarus is different, different from, from Belgium or the Netherlands or Serbia or whatever country. Uh, so it, it's very hard to fight, first of all, corona dictatorships, which are normal dictatorships using corona, and how to keep up uh, our democratic values in democratic countries. It's a huge thing, and just Brussels declarations and statements don't change the situation on the ground. So we have to act, and we have to implement sanctions uh, for those countries who uh, are really dictatorship, misusing corona. Um, if you look at the European Union, uh, we have a kind of uh, package to help to overcome the pandemic, a financial package, next generation Europe. And what we as liberals want to do to connect that and other European subsidies with the rule of law. So that means that if you don't adhere to the rule of law in your country, you don't get European subsidies. Uh, but the issue is of course, that uh, there is the rule of consensus. That means that uh, the member state of the EU together have to decide that we connect the rule of law to subsidies. Well, I don't think that Viktor Orban or the Polish government is likely to do that. Again, we have a lot of uh, challenges ahead. Uh, you mentioned that uh, some are using the cover of uh, COVID-19 to force illiberal agendas, uh, obviously many affecting human rights. Uh, we also know that the political landscape is changing, that the populism is on the rise. Now, how best to fight that against, uh, how, how best to fight against that in the media environment of today that is different than it was 20 or 30 years ago? How best to protect the respect for human rights in the change media environment. You're right. I mean, there is a difference between 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, but there is also a continuity. That means that we, democratic political parties, NGOs, etc., 
uh, we should take the problems of the people seriously. We should not be politically correct. Because then happens what happens in the United States. What you see there is that around half of the uh, votes cast were in favor of Trump. So it's a narrow victory, and I'm happy with the narrow victory of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I'm happy that they won. Uh, but we should not say, like Hillary Clinton, that those who voted, for instance, uh, for Donald Trump, are deplorables. No, we should also listen to their problems and to try to meet those people and to include them. The same is in the European Union. Uh, it, it's very easy just to say to the people who vote for uh, parties, I would not vote for, you would not vote for, uh, that those peoples are deplorables. Um, there is an issue about unlimited migration, uh, which causes social problems. We should be honest and say we should solve those social problems. If you look at uh, the discussion we have in the EU, but also worldwide concerning terrorism, we have seen so many terrorist attacks over the last years. Uh, you know that uh, it more or less started with Charlie Hebdo five years ago in Paris. Then we had the Bataclan massacre. Uh, we had many other uh, terrorist attacks. Uh, we have had uh, Samuel Paty, uh, the teacher who was beheaded in France. Uh, and we should be strong and tough concerning those terrorists. And most of those terrorists are Islamists, not plain Muslims, not people who go to the mosque, uh, raise their children, not people who are part of our society. They are not the problem. Uh, but the extremists over there, let's call a spade a spade. And let's... what. French President Macron has said, let's be hard on those extremists. So, uh, again, there is no easy solution, but there is no time for political correctness, not looking at problems. We should solve them. We, the Democrats, whether we're Christian Democrats, liberal Democrats, social Democrats, Greens, uh, classical conservatives, those who are in the center of politics should come with solutions. That's the most important thing. You mentioned extremism, which of course is the the rot that is that is undoing the various strains of European democracy. But extremism comes in comes in many forms as well. Uh, for if I may be a devil's ad advocate uh, in this case, uh, someone would argue that you know uh, retradition traditionalization of Eastern Europe, for example, reemergence of um, defunct views on the role of women in the society, or the, ro the women's rights, or LGBT rights, uh, has uh, is uh, an extremism, political and religious, uh, of its own sort. So uh, the question here is um, whether or not the uh, political correctness or incorrectness. Uh, I, I mean, whether it, if that's a double-edged sword, you know, because if we are to address, and I fully agree with you that extremisms should be addressed, that if we address extremisms that come from outside, from uh, very radical conservative interpretations of uh, Islam, 
then should we not address radical conservative interpretations of uh, Christian thought or, or orthodox thought or what have you, so that there are issues that are within the EU uh, that need to be addressed as well? How do, you, how do you see that? How do you respond to that? Well, I'm fully with you, of course. Uh, we have in Poland a government which allows so-called uh, LGBTI free zones or gay free zones uh, in cities. Well, that's unacceptable. I mean, it's fully unacceptable. Uh, and if you are a, a moderate Christian, you see gay people, people with another sexual orientation, as your equals. I mean, come on. So, therefore, I said we connect, we should connect European subsidies uh, to the rule of law, which will affect Poland and Hungary and other countries. So, I'm fully with you uh, that, that we should not focus at, at one side of the problem, but at many sides. Uh, but it means that we should be, be tough. Uh, and again, uh, if we look at gender, uh, equality of men and women. The liberals were in the vanguard, are in the vanguard of equality. Uh, so, so we have a lot to do. And you're right, we should not focus at one side of the story. Uh, in the European Union, we can do more than we can, unfortunately, do in other parts of the world. I mean, in the EU, uh, we have courts, we have the European Court uh, in uh, Luxembourg, you have the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg. So there is the rule of law and we should enforce it. You both touched on the LGBT issue. Uh, European Commission President unveiled a new EU LGBTIQ strategy. Uh, and the EU Equality Commissioner Helena Daly uh, said that the EU has entered a new era in the fight for equality. The Commission also wants all EU governments to come up with uh, their own national action plan on how to decrease the discrimination against uh, the community. And uh, the, the Commissioner Dali also said that the EU countries that do not respect LGBTQI rights should face financial penalties. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, th that's what <laughs> we just spoke about. Uh, and I'm very happy that, that uh, Sophie Innefeld, a uh, member of the Renew Group uh, in the European Parliament, has taken the lead in this issue. Uh, but also here, I mean, uh, I'm in favor of this new strategy. I'm in favor of action plans. But in the end, uh, we should be tough uh, and find consensus, uh, for instance, not to pay subsidies to countries which uh, don't respect equality and human rights and civil liberties. Again, how can we do this in the European Council where there is unanimity and we can't wait for the next 10 years to change that. So we should act now. Uh, and that means also that we should uh, support human rights groups in Poland, in Hungary, in other parts of the European Union. It's a hard struggle, but I'm with the Commission. I'm with Commissioner Dali. I'm with uh, Sophie Innerfeld and many others. Uh, so we have an overburdened agenda, but we should uh, be active. Absolutely. How difficult it is for liberals in the, on the European level and on various uh, national levels to keep up with, uh, shall we say, defending 
these ten, basic tenets of, of, of uh, human rights and, and, and liberal democracies in the face of emergencies such as coronavirus or, or you mentioned terrorist threats, etc., etc. It seems that the onslaught against uh, these core European values is sustained and continues for well, several years now. Well, well, what I said, in the end, if you look on a world scale, dictatorships were already there. They now use an excellent argumentation, that's Corona, which is not necessary. I mean, it's just a veil. It's something you don't need. Uh, you can fight Corona in a free society. So China <laughs> will not change. I'm hypercritical on China, uh, what it does in Hong Kong, uh, what it does towards Taiwan. Let's take Taiwan. I mean, that's a country. Yes, I call it a country. China does not. Where they have fought Corona, upholding the rule of law, uh, where they have a, a minister uh, who is a transsexual, which, uh, where there is the LGBT marriage is possible now, the opening of the civil marriage. Uh, so what we should do, we should support those countries which have the good example, like Taiwan and others. Uh, look at New Zealand, which has been able to fight Corona effectively without touching upon the rule of law in negative sense. So we should look for partners which are doing well. Inside the European Union, the same. Again, uh, it is not necessary to, uh, to do away with human rights, civil liberties to fight Corona. We can do it in a legal way, very effectively. Uh, and that is, should be our message uh, all over the world and in the EU. Um, now, maybe to end on a light note, <laughs> if that can be said, the US elections at the beginning of November, uh, it seems like the, the eyes of the whole world, or at least most of the countries around the world, will uh, were quite closely following uh, the results. Uh, President Biden is president-elect. Uh, we see how the current administration is taking the news. Judging from the surveys, it seems that most uh, people from most of the EU countries uh, are welcoming the news as it is today. Uh, what's your reaction to the US elections, the results and everything that is accompanying the whole uh, campaign and the elections? Thank you. Well, the United States are a democracy with the rule of law and with all the problems uh, of the elections, uh, we can say that it's clear there was no fraud, uh, not as a tendency, not as institutionally. Uh, so, so President-elect Biden will be the president uh, at 20th of uh, January. And Vice President-elect uh, Kamala Harris will be then the Vice President. Uh, Trump is, is trying to question all this, but in a real democracy with America is, he has no chance. In the end, uh, Biden and Harris will be there. Uh, Trump is, of course, not a gracious man like George W. Bush and others who said, we will transfer power in an easy way started to acknowledge the uh, results of the elections. Uh, but the Americans will overcome. Uh, what I said to my European friends, 
we have to invest in the transatlantic partnership uh, because also Biden, President Biden, will be tough. He will ask us to pay for defense. It cannot be that Americans pay for uh, 80% of the European defense. We have to, to, to share the burden together. Uh, we have to fight for a transatlantic uh, trade and investment community. It doesn't come about without any problems. But the good thing is, of course, that Biden and Harris are people of an international orientation. So it will be easier, much easier to work with them. So I'm happy with the results in the American elections, and it proves that America is a full democracy. What you mentioned or alluded here to, rather, is uh, something that's been raging, a debate that's been raging on in European circles for, well, for the past four years, ever since uh, Donald Trump was elected, namely the question of European strategic autonomy. Uh, and that seems to mean different things to different people. Uh, depending on how they view the role of the United States in the international order, etc., etc. But um, what is the liberal, the European liberals' position on um, integrated European defense, militarily speaking? Uh, is that a complement to NATO, a, a, a um, replacement for NATO? How? What? Well. Here you see, of course, there is discussion in all political groups, not only in the Liberal Democratic, in the Renew Group, in the European Parliament, or uh, our affiliated parties. Um, if I speak for myself, uh, I've been 10 years member of the European Parliament, 10 years in the Dutch Parliament. Um, I'm president of Honor of Liberal International, president of ALDE. I've always said, um, you can't bring peace with resolutions you have to be prepared also to use military force. Uh, and that means that we can only do so together with the United States and the United Kingdom inside NATO. So uh, the European pillar of NATO should be strengthened. We should be more, pay much more than we do now. We should be prepared to go on peace missions uh, much more than we do today. Uh, but I don't believe that total autonomy can be achieved because then we in Europe should pay not 2% of the gross national product for defense, but maybe 10%. Uh, and we should be able to fight in order to make resolutions. So I say uh, that I, I, I see not be, being the case. So uh, therefore I see a stronger European input Defense security input in NATO is the key. Mr. Hans van Balen, president of Alde Group, uh, thank you so much for being part of a special podcast series on human rights in 21st century. Thank you. It is a pleasure. Thank you very much.